0: on tv tomorrow for the raiders the jt and looney podcast we're going to open up with the daniel jones touchdown bobby will send you the highlight that'll be your edit episode 20 jones out of the gun back to throw to the end zone right corner touchdown welcome to the nfl daniel jones as he hits Betty fowler and the giants have tied it at six Oh, the Daniel Jones era has begun for the (laughs) Big Blue Wrecking Crew. Tom Looney, another podcast, and to stay current. We have a backup Giants quarterback touchdown. He was five for five with a touchdown. Fans are going crazy. And now Eli Manning's looking over his shoulder.
1: And it's the time of year where I need to remind everybody, as I did for all those years on Fox Sports Radio with the JT The Brick Show with Tom Looney. And that was the Miami Dolphins didn't win a game the year they went undefeated, they didn't win a game in the preseason. Now, I know it's no newsflash, and I know we've got time to fill, but the preseason doesn't matter. A lot of guys who will eventually have no career in the NFL look good during the preseason, and a lot of guys who aren't going to suit up in the team that they're in the uniform that they're wearing now look really good in the preseason. And a lot of times, coaches are idiots
0: and don't even realize that the good guys are good, and then it might matter. Absolutely. Sometimes I think guys could step up. Disclaimer working for the Raiders. I was on the sidelines when Derek Carr was a rookie and he wasn't going to play that year. They were going to bench him or let him be the backup in the final preseason game. He threw three touchdowns and they made the decision. Go with him. Same thing happened to Tony Romo. If you mm-hmm. look back on Tony Romo's career in Seattle, He had the best game that he could have had for Parcells in the preseason, an epic game. He said in his documentary on a football life, it was the most important game of his life because the Cowboys had the confidence to start him. And the rest is history. He didn't oh, turn out yeah. to be a of
1: Famer, but he had a great career. And the Arizona Cardinals never would have been to the Super Bowl. The irrelevant Arizona Cardinals had one relevant year with Kurt Warner, and you were there on the sidelines again. It was in Oakland, California, and Matt Leinart was going to be their their golden boy and their new starting quarterback. And I think he threw three interceptions on three passes <laughs> in the preseason game with the Raiders. They put in Kurt Warner, who was Kurt Warner and brilliant, and took them to the Super Bowl that year.
0: Yeah, and to tie that in with one more, remember one of the biggest injuries in NFL history happened in the preseason when Trent Green, the starter for the Rams, oh, yeah. went down for the year, and Dick Vermeil said, Kurt Warner, your next man up. He ended up being a multiple MVP, a Super Bowl champion, a Hall of Famer. So I believe that the preseason's important. Here's why. Yes! You have 90 players on a team. You got to cut it down to 53. You need practice. They no longer practice much. In pads or helmets. They do a lot of walkthroughs. And it's very difficult for coaches to find and put together a roster without practice games. On top of that, NFL owners led by Jerry Jones, they get get to keep their own revenue in the preseason. And what that means is all of their local rights, if you have a Pepsi or a Coke deal or a radio deal, you have a deal with some type of big company, a McDonald's, a Burger King, you keep all of that money, with your sales staff in the preseason while also charging full price for those tickets and NFL owners want two home games. That means you have to have four total. So I don't see the owners giving up the preseason in years to come because they make a boatload of money and they get to pocket it all with their home revenue rights.
1: Well, I don't think they're going to give up the preseason, but they're going to fight over more regular season games. I don't think there's, it's hard for them to say we care about concussions. And we care about the player's health, and we should have more games and I also think, as we pointed out, there's a lot of examples, a lot more examples than we just gave of guys who starred in the preseason and coaches decide, let's roll the dice on this guy. You know coaches a lot of times make up their mind this is no this is no news flash to anybody who ever played sports who's listening to the podcast right now, and thank you for downloading it on itunes j t and looney podcast. Hi. Uh, a lot of times coaches have their minds made up about who's good and who's not and who's a starter and who's not. And they're wrong a lot. And it's preseason games like this or injuries that really find the diamonds in the rough. I think they're crazy to cut back any preseason games. And there's no reason to add any, any regular season games if you're, if you're so concerned about their health.
0: Well, when we look at the quarterbacks, because I have my list, I finally did it. I fell prey to what everybody does in July and August. <laughs> I started watching on TV a couple of radio hosts, TV hosts. The Athletic did it. They put up a list of quarterbacks and ranking them. Mm-hmm. And I watched it for a number of days, and I said, this is just garbage. Because people, when they rank quarterbacks coming into this season – they typically rank them from last year, right? Patrick Mahomes was exactly Recency bias. Yeah, recency bias, but I looked at it differently. I ranked every quarterback on every team, the starters, and I put them into different categories. And we're going to talk about this on this version of the podcast and try to set the story straight on the quarterback and what you think of the quarterback. Because in my humble opinion, this year, the 100th anniversary of the NFL is the greatest year ever ever in the history of the quarterback position from the top quarterback all the way to the only team, the only team that has a quarterback question. And that would be Miami with Ryan Fitzpatrick or, you know, when they went and made that trade and they made the trade with Arizona, which I thought was pretty important at the time because they, Arizona traded up with the Raiders to get the number 10 pick to get Josh Rosen. And then Arizona just threw him, to the wolves and the team was awful. Josh Rosen goes to Miami. So Miami is really the only team with a real quarterback question. And I think they have a good option because Rosen was drafted to be a superstar, a pro bowler in this league, Tom. So we're going to go oh, through the quarterbacks, top to bottom
1: uh, newsflash. Every quarterback is drafted to be a superstar in the oh, league.
0: Oh, Brady. But- oh, Oh, let me stop you. Oh, I love this. No, 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 you're wrong. Tom Brady wasn't even liked by. The OK, Patriots. how about this? Every first round draft pick, people
1: have dreams of that guy being a Hall of Fame quarterback and the ticket to a Super Bowl. And Josh Rosen was by the Arizona Cardinals. And by the way, this is the first time this has ever happened in our life, isn't it? That they roll the dice and someone drafts a quarterback and only tries them out for one year, then trades them away. So high profile. Yeah, it is incredible uh, for a midget, you know, for a guy, for some, some gimmick in Arizona. Good luck with that in the history of the national football league. We've had almost zero quarterbacks under six feet, one who have ever had any success. Yes. There's one, two, three that have had great success, And if I I need to remind you, and I probably I don't need to, but some people forget to do their math. One, two and three are one, two and three doors down from zero. There is no smart reason to draft any short quarterback and think he's going to be different. Than any other short quarterback in the NFL. I remember you were singing the praises of Johnny Walker Red football when he went to Cleveland. You believed in Johnny believe, football.
0: A lot of people believed in Johnny football. how that Tony, work out? Tony, uh, Tony Kornizer said that the other day on PTI. <laughs> oh, I just got that wrong. I, I was all in on that. And I was with him. But I do disagree with you on Kyler Murray as we are taping this podcast. Kyler mm-hmm. Murray played his first game for Arizona and looked great, not good. He stormed down the field he was outside the pocket making plays oh and let's not forget he won the heisman trophy and the year before that oh. baker mayfield won the heisman trophy we're not talking about guys who are okay and really good and talented in college like a patrick mahomes so will we're he be better than
1: danny are- will he be better than danny werferful <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, really I he'll be better than gino Toretta? yes Okay, so we'll okay, good. All, right, good. All right, so here are the categories for our quarterback list. Oh, okay. And this is really my list where you're going to hammer away at it on the JT and Looney podcast. Yes. You but will category- give your humble opinion and I will hammer away with my arrogant opinion. So the categories are Hall of Fame. These are the okay. players that are playing now, this year in 2019, that I already have in the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Oh. Uh, the next category is in the discussion. These are really good quarterbacks with unbelievable stats that I think most people don't believe are hall of famers, but they're in the discussion. The next category is work in progress. Another category of really good quarterbacks who are highly paid, but they're not on the verge of the hall of fame just yet. And then the young guns category, young guns, brand new quarterbacks that are incredible. Where are they going to end up down the road? And then finally, my one wild card the only quarterback i can't figure out we'll save the best for last i don't know what okay. he's going to do he's the only wild card so let's begin with the hall of famers these are two hall of famers that are leading the charge in tom brady and drew brees okay. that are two of the greatest of all time you could debate mount rushmore we only have four presidents on mount rushmore you can debate that drew brees when it's all said and done, who's going to have well over 80,000 yards could be there. So Brady's got 70,514 yards, six Super Bowls, 517 touchdowns, and Drew Brees has more touchdowns than yards. He's got 520 for touchdowns, 74,000 plus yards, and he's won a Super Bowl, so he's a champion. I don't believe, Tom, in our lifetime, we will see, unless it's Mahomes and Baker Mayfield, as I did the math, you'll see two quarterbacks. At the end of the end of the end of their prime, with over seventy-five thousand yards playing together in their forties, do you agree with that? Oh yeah. Well, that's a pretty good. Uh,
1: that's a pretty good prediction on your part. So it's usually easy, easy to predict the negative, and that is true that people usually, uh, at the money that's being doled out, people will lose the chip on the shoulder that drives them. It seems as though Drew Brees and Tom Brady have not lost that chip, and that's really commendable. Seems easy like it could have happened to either one of them by now. And uh, with longevity and people playing longer and health-ish, and the way with kinesiology and medicine, et cetera, and the different practice rules, and with the uh, new concussion protocol, the players will probably play longer if they want to, but they won't have to. So I would say two quarterbacks in their 40s with these type of numbers ever in our lifetime again, probably not.
0: All right, so you agree that those two are easy locks playing now for the Hall of Fame, correct? Stone cold lead pipe locks. All right, interrupt me like you're great at. If you, if you have <laughs> one of the next group, I have nine in the Hall of Fame, nine. Those okay. are I have Ben Roethlisberger in the Hall of Fame, two Super Bowls over 56,000 yards.
1: I love him. And at, at times the best quarterback in the National Football
0: League. I have Aaron Rodgers in the Hall of Fame, 338 touchdowns, multiple MVPs, a Super Bowl, almost 43,000 yards. Well,
1: Aaron Rodgers is Dirk Nowitzki. You know, he's got one championship, and the media <laughs> loves him, just loves him. He's really done nothing, but he looks really good on film, and he's and he, he's on a team that's many times poorly coached, and and he doesn't listen to his coaches, and he's almost uncoachable. You know, he's like, I guess, making a movie with Dustin Hoffman. He's just he's just impossible to work with. I think he has to pass Vinny Testaverde and Carson Palmer in
0: career yards before we can put him in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'll get to those guys later. Oh, I'll get to those guys. Uh, one guy that they're going to have to pick up uh, at the Hall of Fame in Canton in a limo and take him right to the stage, Phillip Rivers. Uh. 54,000 yards, 374 touchdowns. One of the great statistical quarterbacks to ever throw the football. Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah, Philip Rivers is a media darling. I would not vote for him in the Hall of Fame. He's not done nothing in this league except throw pick sixes and lose as many games for the Chargers as he's ever won. God, he's a disaster. I mean, The last time I went to a Charger game, they almost pulled him at the half. He was so bad. You know bad.
0: that he's and 8 against Brady? Is that the most amazing out yeah. yeah.
1: of all? 80, that wouldn't surprise me because the Chargers are about as predictable as the Browns. They they people get all excited about a new coach or a new star on the team, and then they don't do anything. It's year in and year out with the media hype for the Chargers and people sleeper pick being the Chargers and fawning and fawning over Philip Rivers like the media fawns over Robert Kraft. People can't name the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, but they know the (laughs) owner of the New England Patriots because we see his face 16 times a game. The overrated Philip Rivers. He probably will get in because of the
0: hype because he's a media darling, and it'll drive me nuts. Eli Manning is the first ballot Hall of Famer, 55,981 yards. Get this, 360 touchdowns, two Super Bowls, oh, nothing, beating Tom Brady, and he would have been the all-time, all-time Ironman of the sport, the yeah. toughest sport we have until Ben McAdoo took him out of a game for Geno Smith in Oakland right before my eyes. I have Eli in the Hall of Fame. Well, the,
1: there's a tends to be, and uh, uh, this is something a big secret in the media, a Northeastern bias <laughs> in the media and playing for the New York Giants. Those two Super Bowl wins over the New England Patriots almost uh, uh, it immediately knitted the red carpet, yes. not only in New York City for him for the rest of his life. like so many other darlings throughout there, he'll be a legend like Mickey Mantle, as you always said, he will be in New York for bringing them those two Super Bowls. And uh, so I agree with you. He will be in the Hall of Fame, whether he deserves it or not. And other than those two Super Bowls, he
0: has a Joe. His Joe Flaccoitis. He forgets how to play quarterback every once in a while. And he's looking over his shoulder as we debuted the podcast with a Daniel Jones touchdown, something that I never thought I'd be capable of doing, something I never thought (laughs) I would ever do. So I got six in the Hall of Fame. Here are the final three. Uh, Matt Ryan's going to the Hall of Fame. He's got 46-plus thousand yards, 295 touchdowns, never gets hurt. He's already quarterbacked in a Super Bowl, an MVP. I got Matt Ryan of Atlanta, who I think is going to play. Why would he guy never goes down i think he's going to play and have well over maybe sixty thousand yards when it's all said and done what do you stand on matty ice
1: he has been on good teams not great teams had some good coaches not great coaches surrounded by good players not always great players and he's done a lot with it and the media seems to love him too it's tough getting into the hall of fame when you're in atlanta when you're not in a, in a big media city
0: but i think he will And then the two more I have left on this list that are well behind the stats, but I believe I can project that they'll be pro football Hall of Famers. Russell Wilson has played in two Super Bowls. He's won one. If Pete Carroll gives the ball to Marshawn Lynch at the goal line, we're talking about two Super Bowls, over 25,000 yards, 196 touchdowns. At one point, the highest paid quarterback ever, Tom, I just think Russell Wilson does it all. He's great in the pocket. He's great outside the pocket. He's a great leader. I have him projected in Canton, Ohio.
1: And as you take a look at the all-time leaders and passing yards in the NFL, Fran Tarkenton is on that list at number 11. It is amazing. He played at a time. You know, he's got 47,000 passing yards in his career. He played at a time when it wasn't a passing league. Hand-off, right. hand-off, pass. Hand-off, hand-off, pass. If he had more than three and five, you would pass. If he had more than third down in five yards. So his numbers are as impressive as anybody on the entire list based on when Fran Tarkington played. And when you take a look at Russell Wilson's style, because they're about the same size uh, the way he's, it was able, he's always been able to improv improv and get out of the pocket and make things happen. So much fun to watch, brings great fame to the game. I've always said that the hall of fame, in addition to statistics, there's another qualification like Gail Sayers, a uh, statistic wise. No, but he brought fame to the game. And uh, sometimes when you get yourself on t- TV, like your friend, Howie Long, you always hate when I point that out, but there's some guys that get themselves TV jobs. And then that gets them into the hall of fame because they bring great fame to the game. And Russell Wilson has done the same and to a city that kind of gets left out, had been left out before he came along. And then with Pete Carroll, And Russell Wilson and Seattle Seahawks really became household favorites throughout the country under his
0: leadership. So I think he'll get it. I thought you were almost talking about the Oval Office when you talked about his TV star and fame. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, Uh that helps. All right. And finally, the last quarterback I have in the Hall of Fame tonight, today, wherever you're downloading, Patrick Mahomes. I've seen enough. 50 (laughs) touchdowns, 50 touchdowns, the MVP, Five thousand three hundred eighty-one yards already. I think he's going to throw for five thousand yards. I don't project injuries. I'm assuming he's going to be healthy. Uh, I have Patrick Mahomes, maybe talent-wise, one of the all-time greats. So those are my nine. Oh, well, excuse me, you said I could interrupt anytime oh, I wanted. I always have over the past fifteen years. Uh, he's had one. He's
1: so far. He's Icky Woods. JT <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. He's had one good year so far. If if Icky Woods. Uh, only played one year in the NFL. He might've gotten the hall of fame with all the fame he brought to the game and his unique style and his fun little white dance on the sideline. But uh, Patrick Mahomes in the hall of fame after that one year, give me a break, but it isn't a, you know, it's an emerging style in the national football league, that Patrick Mahomes style, that improvisational style that we're seeing now in Arizona as well, rolling the dice on a little bit of fella and Kyler, Kyler Murray thinking he can probably do the same as Russell Wilson, the rest. So, If Patrick Mahomes can continue to do what he does, yes, but... Uh, but you're just being a shock jock right now,
0: putting back on. Oh I, I saw Daniel Day-Lewis in The Bounty in 1984, right. I knew he was going to be the greatest actor of my generation. And then oh. after that, he backed it up with Lincoln, and There Will Be Blood, and Gangs of New York, and My Left Foot, and Last of the Mohicans. I've seen enough. I have Daniel Day-Lewis in the Hall of Fame, even if he doesn't want to do a movie again. I can project this stuff.
1: Oh, God, your Daniel Day-Lewis obsession. Here I am, acting I'm Daniel Day-Lewis, and I'm
0: acting. I'll oh, give you a break. All right, so those are the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you seem to be against my Patrick Mahomes and only, only my Philip Rivers. Everybody else she kind of agreed with.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see where th- those things would happen. doesn't mean I even necessarily agree, but I agree whether or not it's going to happen was my caveat with some of those Philip Rivers drives me
0: nuts, and he's never done anything. All right, the next category I think is fascinating. In this discussion, okay. they are- Guys that could go to the Hall of Fame and they're still playing. They include four. Uh, the first one would be Matthew Stafford, who is one of the biggest stat machines that no one talks about, playing for an awful organization in the Lions. He's got over 38,500 yards and 237 touchdowns. They leave him alone, they give him money, he's always in the shotgun throwing. Uh, Stafford is a great pocket passer on a bad team. I also have Cam Newton.
1: Wait a minute. Don't go Stafford. so fast. Mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford's a bum slayer. And that's the problem. He can't beat good teams. This is a fact and not an opinion. If Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions play a team above 500, they're not going to win. And that counts for something. Sometimes winning doesn't matter. And sometimes It depends on what team you you end up on on bad teams like Vinny Testaverde, who might have been in the Hall of Fame, had he been drafted by different teams and then ended up on different teams. God, draft day is so important. And draft day screwed over Matthew Stafford. He'll never get in the Hall of Fame because he got screwed over by the uniform that he wears and the franchise he ended up with.
0: Yeah, I believe he gets screwed over by the Ford family. I have them with the Brown family of Cincinnati as the worst owners, not just in football and sports. Now Cam Newton. This will be good. Cam Newton, MVP, uh, played in a Super Bowl. He's got 182 touchdowns, uh, over 28,000 yards, And I think the best running quarterback I've ever seen since Mike Vick in that category. So the whole body of work for Cam Newton, even though he's slowing down, he's got the shoulder injury, he's a little bit aloof when he goes grocery shopping (laughs) for another podcast. Uh, He's in the discussion. If Cam gets to another Super Bowl, wins an MVP, I think he's going to go to another team. I think he's going to leave Carolina where he doesn't get a lot of media attention, and he has national endorsement deals. Tom, I think the final chapter to Cam Newton's career in another city for another franchise is going to put him in discussion for the Hall of Fame. Could you imagine if Brady decided to quit
1: at the end of the year and Cam Newton went to New England? Could you imagine if Cam Newton was on a team that really engineered everything around Cam Newton, played to his positives, and was in an, you know, on an organization like the Steelers or the Ravens or the Patriots—a team that already has their shit together—could you imagine how amazing he would be? And you know how I love my running quarterbacks. And he, you know, he's bigger. Have you ever recently, like in the past couple of years, NFL Network reran Super Bowl One? A lot of the footage had been lost, and it was recovered and colorized. It was really good. And mm-hmm. Cam Newton is bigger than anybody who played in Super Bowl One. Anybody who played any position, <laughs> he is amazing. And so if I had a vote, you know my bias. If I had a vote for the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't care what anybody thought. Cam Newton goes in wow. first ballot. that's yeah.
0: impressive. I know you've always talked highly of him. Okay. Oh, I love his game. You're going to go from the top of the roller coaster we are going to go to the top of the roller coaster on the JT and Looney podcast, and now we're going to go to Joe Flacco. So we're at the top. We're at the top with Tom Brady and Drew Brees, and now we're going to Joe Flacco, who has had the greatest postseason run ever behind Joe Montana with the one Super Bowl. It was brilliant. Two hundred and twelve touchdowns, thirty-eight thousand plus yards. I'm telling you statistically, if he can get the 50,000 yards and another story, remember Peyton Manning went to Denver, went to two Super Bowls and won one. If Elway gets it right here, Flacco's had a nice career and much better statistically than most people will remember.
1: Uh, Joe Flacco. The problem is with Joe Flacco is I've always said he forgot how to play football. He had that Super Bowl run, like a lot of guys had great Super Bowl runs. JT, but uh, he gets the Mark Rippin Award. He had a great Super Bowl run, and uh, Johnny Hostetler, a great Super Bowl run. Jeff Hostetler. See, see how bad he was. I Forgot his first name, but still, uh, I, 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 do you say it to drive me nuts or are you sincere? Joe Flacco, uh, you know, gets the Nick Foles Award or or, or the Jeff yeah. Costello award. What did he ever do
0: other yeah, than yeah. that? Except for not how to play football. Oh, Joe Flacco, again, had one of the greatest postseasons ever. With I think it was 14 touchdowns and no interceptions. It was a Montana-esque performance. I'll double-check on that number, but it was that good. And oh, for Flacco, he was amazing. He was remember, amazing. Think of yards and touchdowns, please. Please. My argument on the Hall of Fame is football, yards, touchdowns running back your yards your touchdown receivers your yards and touchdowns in baseball it's your home runs and rbi no, that's in your hockey, criteria okay well in hockey it's goals and assists that's how you go in and it's a good time to throw this in terry bradshaw 27,989 yards yeah, 200, 212 touchdowns i bring that up because joe flacco has 212 touchdowns. Ken yeah. Stabler, the snake, 194 touchdowns. Bob Greasy, 192. Oh, and Joe Namath, more interceptions, more than touchdowns. Uh, Namath, 173. Joe Bleep Flacco, 212, and he's got a few years left.
1: Well, if you're going to put Joe Flacco in, you have to agree i got to take one of those guys out. I've always said that Bob Greasy couldn't do anything but hand off to Mercury Morris and, and and Larry Zonka. He was just a media favorite early on in the league, early on when the, when the league was gaining great fame. They needed to put somebody in, so they put Bob Greasy and Terry Bradshaw, yes a media darling. But God, all he could do was hand off to Frank O'Harris. Yeah, they had a couple of good highlights in the Super Bowl. Lynn Swan and John Stallworth making him look good, trying to jump up in the air and climb on ladders to catch his bad passes. But Terry Bradshaw was below 50% over his career. Je- Matter of fact, Jefferson Street, Joe Gilliam, the backup quarterback in Pittsburgh, was probably better, but they didn't want to start a black quarterback. So Terry Bradshaw probably doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. We'll leave Kenny Stapler alone. He was a Raider and you worked for the Raiders and and that was a really touching moment. The Hall of Fame is too fresh. He just got in. I'll leave it alone. Joe Namath brought great brought great fame to the game. Not a criteria for you, but for me. He changed the league by the AFL winning the Super Bowl and Super Bowl three. His prediction in Pasadena, his fur coats. He was even in. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we will talk about that coming up, the Quentin Tarantino movie. He was a movie star playing quarterback and brought great fame to the NFL. If you bring great fame to the NFL, you can be in the Hall of Fame. So in that list, Terry Bradshaw, Kenny Stabler, Bob Greasy, Joe Namath. If any one of those guys is going to stay, I would say it's Joe Namath.
0: Uh, by the way, that was Namath in Miami at the Super Bowl on the lounge chair, not Pasadena, oh. but it was an unbelievable story. Okay, the last one I think is <laughs> the last guy that I have in the discussion. I typically would have already put him in the Hall of Fame. This is to me, the there's two controversial quarterbacks that we're going to get to. This is one, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, I believe, and we've been doing radio forever. I thought he was the best quarterback talent since John Elway. Mm-hmm. And he came into the league and proved it. And he played Brady, and they battled, and they were great. Now he's had a couple of injuries, including in this preseason where supposedly he has a calf strain, but he told everyone which oh. you're not supposed to, that his ankle hurts too, and it's mentally affecting him. Oh, my God. I don't know what's going on with this guy mentally or physically. Andrew Luck, 23,671 yards, 171 touchdowns. I think he'll win a Super Bowl. He might win multiple MVPs, but right now, Tom, I can't put him in the Hall of Fame. He's not going to win multiple MVPs. He's probably not going to ever win
1: another MVP, based on where he plays, based on the fact that he seldom plays, etc. And the organization he's also plays for—terrible a terrible organization. That was a terrible football team when Peyton Manning was taking them. They were—he was taking them to the Super Bowl on his back most of the time. If Andrew Luck, I'll give you this: if Andrew Luck has a good season this year, he'll pass Brian Sype and Steve Berline on the all-time yardage list.
0: <laughs> All right. Now the next category, we'll go fast through this, is okay. work in progress. So the last category was in the discussion for the okay. Hall of Fame. These guys are work in progress. Going back to my point that this is the greatest year in the history of the NFL at the quarterback position. You got Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Nick Foles, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, And Carson Wentz, can you believe how many good quarterbacks are there? Let's start with Kirk Cousins. By the way, thank you. And I'd
1: like to pat myself on the back right now. Over all these years, when I've been on the radio uh, with you, I was saying that was one area where the NFL wasn't hurting. Because sometimes we'd say, God, there's bad quarterback play. And I would say, no, there's not. And I would just get, I would read the top 10, top 12 quarterbacks. That's almost half the league. There's a lot of
0: great quarterbacks out there or guys with incredible upside. I blame Andy Dalton for saying in Cincinnati, but if he wasn't in Cincinnati, he wouldn't be starting. Isn't that bizarre? He gets to, he has 28,100 yards and 188 touchdowns because he plays for the Bengals. He's been above average at times, but the Bengals are too cheap to let him go and no one else wants him. But Kirk Cousins, Tom, he became Ugh. the first human being ever to wear a helmet to get all of his money guaranteed on a three-year 80 four million dollar deal he won't go to the hall of fame but he'll go to the hall of fame for contracts with that deal
1: (laughs) oh yeah he will and he's another bum slayer can't beat good teams if kirk cousins is going up against a team with a winning record uh put all load up if you're in vegas and you like to bet on games load up and bet against kirk cousins when he's playing a good team Uh,
0: Derek Carr came into the league 0-10. He had an MVP type season in 2016 where he broke his ankle, and he's had all these different coaches and coaching changes, all of this lined up here, but Carr will pass Gannon and Stabler and LaMonica as the all-time passing and touchdown leader coming up this season for the Raiders, almost 19,000 yards, 122 touchdowns. Last year on a team that was in the tank, he threw for over 70% and had 4,000 yards, so Car is a work in progress, and then we get to Heisman Trophy winners, Tom. Jameis, Winston, and Mariota. Mm -hmm. I like both of them, and Jameis, who I interviewed once at the Super Bowl, he's got great stats. He's almost at 15,000 yards, 88 touchdowns. Talk about Winston and Mariota, two Heisman Trophy winners.
1: uh, And two guys, too, that uh, if they had ended up on a good team, uh, what would the difference be? And I still think that if they they still can – build up the team around famous Jameis winston he'll be fine marcus Mariota will tease us every once in a while his mm-hmm. first nfl game was great and we kept waiting for a second and then you know, eventually he's had a couple great games and he really teases us and you know i love my running quarterbacks and he's fun to watch when he's
0: good which is about once every six weeks absolutely we continue on with nick Falls. Doesn't it, I thought Nick Foles had better stats. It shows you how long he was a backup. He's got 11,165 yards, 68 touchdowns, but an iconic Super Bowl win. I will tell you this about Nick Foles. Let's keep him in the work-in-progress category. Jacksonville's good, and their defense is outstanding. And with Leonard Fournette and Tom Coughlin running the organization football-wise, I'm telling you here, if Foles wins another Super Bowl, we're talking about the second coming of Jim Plunkett. With two Super Bowls, not enough stats that you would say Hall of Fame, but a lot of people are going to say, "Wow, those are incredible moments." Uh, there's Nick Foles, yeah, and, and
1: Nick Foles too. You know, if he really, if they have a system that makes him shine in Jacksonville, we don't pay any attention to Jacksonville over all these years. In a lot of ways, the same way we never paid attention to the Cleveland Browns, and both teams at times get our attention because they draft great players, because they always stink. If they don't stink this year and they were as good as they have been the uh, last couple of years, if they had gone to the AFC Championship game against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots with Nick Foles at quarterback, think of what would have happened. That'll be nice if your prediction does come true.
0: All right, and here are three quarterbacks that are young that have around the same stats. Dak Prescott waiting on a contract, Jared Goff already to the Super Bowl, and Carson Wentz, who own nothing has a Super Bowl ring, even though he's injured. He was injured for Philadelphia. He was part of that team. Out of Dak, Goff, and Wentz, pick one that you think has the ability to go to the Hall of Fame.
1: Dak, Goff, and Wentz. Probably Carson Wentz because yeah. of all the intangibles and all the tools. and they Because any one of those three, Uh, could, I think, if they keep it up. I've seen some great statistics about Dak Prescott compared to Roger Staubach and other uh, Cowboy quarterbacks. Incredibly efficient. I saw his first game ever played at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum against the Rams, and that was another one of those preseason games where eyebrows
0: were raised and people realized, oh, wow, who's this? He's good. And it was Dak Prescott. Uh, I think that golf. Keep an eye on his early career. He had Jeff Fisher. They booted Jeff Fisher. They brought in Sean McVay. He went to the Pro Bowl, went to the Super Bowl. He's young, hasn't got paid yet. He looks like a quarterback. He's got a monster arm. He's playing in the number two media market. Got a good coach. He's got everything going for him. All right, then the final category is young guns. This is why, Mm. once again, I believe this is the greatest time ever for NFL quarterbacks. Only two of these quarterbacks have thrown for over 5,000 yards. So you got Baker Mayfield already with 27 touchdowns. Mitchell Trubisky with 31 touchdowns and over 5,400 yards. Everybody loves Deshaun Watson. Wow. Oh God, I do. Out of talent. Uh, 5,864 yards, 45 touchdowns, but already a serious injury. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson of Baltimore, who's acting like Michael Vick, loves it, and they gave him the keys to the franchise. Yeah, they did. Yeah. You have Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, who's the franchise quarterback in Buffalo, and Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold out of USC, who I saw play in high school, playing in the number one media market. So, Tom, those young guns, there could be at least two Hall of Famers there, and I think the best chance for the Hall of Fame with these guys are probably Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson, but I wouldn't be shocked if Sam Darnold had a brilliant career and Mitchell Trubisky. Man, he looks the role of a quarterback in a he big does. market who can run with big shoulders. I like all the young guys. I
1: never trust the Chicago Bears because I, ne- I, go, I always, uh, as you know, when I do my preseason predictions, I go with franchises. So you never go with the Bears to do anything. They've never done anything. Being a quarterback at Chicago is a curse. It's like being mayor in New York. Sounds cool, but God, you know, you, and everyone hates you. And, and there's never been a good quarterback. Jim McMahon was good for one year. He had an icky woods year (laughs) in Chicago, but God, uh, there's something about that position in Chicago. Deshaun Watson is probably my favorite and Lamar Jackson because I love my running quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield. I love a guy chugging a beer. doesn't bother me. I didn't invest. I don't own the team. He's not my employee. He provides fodder for sports talk radio and sports talk TV. He's fun to watch. He's brash. Normally quarterbacks don't act like that. So we're not used to it. But if he can keep it up, it'll be fun. I don't want the Browns to be bad. I think they all
0: will be bad. I don't want them to be bad. I want to see good football. Well, we worked at a network when everybody wasn't fascinated with Baker Mayfield. We worked at a place when we were working that we weren't weren't fascinated with young guys in their 20s who spent money or got triple doubles or shotgun beer and then – just copycatted whatever other show said. The, the embarrassment of the coverage of Baker Mayfield is incredible to me. Well, there me. was
1: also embarrass- embarrassing coverage, and you were part of it, uh, when Johnny Football went to Cleveland yeah. <laughs> as well. And I was just going with my mantra, just like, you know, when you t- tear your Achilles, you're done. Shout out Kevin Durant. Uh, when you are under six feet tall and you're a, a quarterback, you're not going to have a really very good career. And I've always been
0: right about that so far. All right, and finally, because we have Kyler Murray and the Young Guns, and he mm-hmm. won't Speaking of that. Finally, uh, as we wrap up my list and Tom Looney's list, and Looney, this is something I put together, but Looney's been amazing, cracking it, uh, analyzing it. The final okay. quarterback I've never been more confused in my life, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh. <laughs> San Francisco, Santa Clara drinks the Jimmy G Kool-Aid because he's a great-looking man. He's the Brad Pitt yep. of the NFL, but he doesn't have the Brad – Pitt movie track record Garoppolo is entering his sixth season sixth, six years this will be this year in the league and totally for his entire career he has less than 3,000 yards 2,968 17 touchdowns in his entire career he was given the franchise of Joe Montana Steve Young and Jerry Rice this guy doesn't even have good backup quarterback stats where Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and other guys were backups. This guy, I can't figure it out, Tom. Are you drinking the Kool-Aid of Jimmy G? No,
1: I never was. He was a great backup in New England. Like Matt Castle
0: was, it was a great
1: system. He's Matt Castle. He had one good, he he had a, 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 really some nice comebacks when he first came into the league, it teased us with those comebacks. When his first year with the 49ers, ooh, this guy's got it. Again, he's with an incredibly bad organization in the San Francisco 49ers. I always point upstairs. If you want to predict a guy's future, what team is he on? He's on the San Francisco 49ers. Not good enough to turn around the team on his own. Harbaugh was when he was coaching the 49 He was a good enough coach to turn around the franchise on his own, and they fired him. If Jim Harbaugh was the coach, maybe. He's not, and that franchise is in complete disarray, and so therefore he doesn't stand a chance. He'll be Matt Cassel or Ty Detmer.
0: Well, the Niners think the opposite. They think they have their great quarterback for the next decade if he can stay healthy. So the trouble is, you can't believe
1: anything the Niners think because the Niners have no brain. Wow! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Spoiler alert.
0: And Tom Looney is one of the greatest movie reviewers I've ever known. I don't go to a movie until Tom Looney tells me to go to a movie because he is a movie critic. This movie, I first, I got to go back and see it again because I walked out of there confused. What did I see? I gave right. it four out of five bricks, one of my highest ratings as I rank movies one to five bricks. but. It was confusing. It was long. But I thought it was some of the best acting I've seen in a movie by an ensemble cast. I can't tell you how far back it goes. Tarantino and his vision. I love the movie.
1: Well, yeah, they gave you some good foreshadowing in the beginning that you don't quite get to the end. And when you're confused, you have to go back to that. And you have to go right to the name of the title of the movie. Once Upon a Time. A fairy tale name. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then it's all wrapped up in a bow for you quite emotionally as you leave, wishing the story was just like that. But uh, I don't want to give away too much. So I'll talk about, you know, it's an homage to 1960.
0: No, 1960- no, 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 stop that for a second. Give away yes. everything. This is a podcast. No spoiler alerts. If you don't want to listen to our review, stop the podcast here, but I want to get into this movie. Okay, great. Because-
1: okay, okay, great. Gonna- then we'll get to that part. Yeah, But I do think it's a great homage to 1969 Hollywood, and if people who live in the rest of the country can't relate to that, they can all relate, if they're old enough, to the homage to 1969. The entire movie takes place in 1969, and the visual of that was so perfect, so meticulous by Quentin Tarantino. Lots of cigarettes because everyone smoked Hippies and skinny people. America wasn't fat yet. (laughs) There were a lot. (laughs) Everybody in the movie was so. Remember the hippies were so skinny because everyone was in 1969. And the the Oldsmobiles and the Cadillac Devils and the classic MGs and the Carmen Geas will bring back memories from everybody of uh, the the cars that the, the the parents of their friends had or that they had and cool dogs and horses, smarty pants child actors. Uh, you and I talked about that a- after, and we'll get into it. Uh, the insecurity of TV and movie stars worried that people will forget who they are and stop giving them acting jobs and they'll have to sell their house and move into a condo in Toluca Lake next to San Batesh. You know, people are really worried about that and, and the movie. Western cowboy movie sets and cowboy TV sets. And throughout the entire movie, you know it hooked me, the radio soundtrack. It's homage to 1969 yeah. radio khj a legendary radio station in los angeles where i did not grow up but the station in los angeles is one that had an imprint on everybody of a generation it had the real disc jockeys and the real don Steele and robert w morgan and movie stars and tv stars playing movie stars and tv stars and margot robbie was terrific and beautiful and and uh, well it was full of beautiful people leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt as well and they were great al pacino uh, right. Joe, Joe, Joe Namath and Bruce Lee and Charles Manson and Tex Watson. I mean, it was just such a such a cool
0: movie. Yeah, it had everything there. And uh, Tarantino really went back to the genre of the television oh. Western yeah. where Leonardo DiCaprio was the star of Bounty Hunter. And it was interesting. Brad Pitt was his uh, stunt double And the relationship they had as Brad Pitt's career was winding down, so was Leo. But Leo's career was getting going again. And in the backdrop of Roman Polanski, the next-door neighbor, and Sharon Tate and what happened, which was going to lead to the gruesome Manson family murders. But then Tarantino, who was so passionate about that year, that time, that genre, rewrote history again. So I'm watching a movie and I'm wondering how it's going to wind down and Tarantino goes down a completely different road and closes out the Manson murders in a way that no one suspected going in time. Oh my God. It
1: was just, you know, and it, it, it actually made me emotional thinking wouldn't it have been nice if everything had ended that way. He, yeah, he mm-hmm. as as it was ramping up to what I thought were the Manson murders, I was thinking, how can this really cool movie, and I guess I, I I was thinking to myself, well, it's Tarantino. I guess there's going to be lots of blood, and it's going to be really uncomfortable, and he's going to show us what murders look like when a pregnant woman gets murdered and gets the baby cut out of her stomach, and that didn't happen. It was, it was, it was once upon a time in Hollywood, and the fairy tale was told in a different way
0: with a fairy tale ending, and I loved it. Yeah, I loved it, too, because I thought the acting— was absolutely brilliant. And as we wrap up this podcast with this review, there were definitely a couple of scenes that my wife oh. and I were going, what the hell is going on? He's talking <laughs> to this little girl sitting in director's chairs for twelve to fifteen minutes. Could that have been three minutes Yeah, really good? I think so. There were yeah. scenes with Brad Pitt. You,
1: I called you when I came out of the movie and so I was I was on cloud nine. Yeah. Because I just thought saw, saw a movie that I thought was nine out of ten. And you started in with your critique, which I hadn't even thought about yet, but you were right. There were a few of those scenes where Quentin Tarantino loves to say, Here I am directing, forgetting that if Quentin Tarantino made a movie that was an hour and a half, you would know it was his movie, first of all, because everyone tells you. But he's got a particular style of meticulous movie making that's terrific. He doesn't need to remind you that he can get away with whatever he wants to get away with. They don't bother him at all about how long scenes are, et cetera, if he wants to do that. Some of those scenes were incredibly complicated and long, and they could have been cut in half.
0: One of the reviews that I read, I nailed, uh, it just nailed how I felt about it. One of the reviews said, aside from the slow pace of the movie and the occasional long-winded speech, this is a movie that's fun to watch, mainly because of the chemistry between Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, great performances, mm-hmm. and because of the film's satisfying ending. Wow, I, that's exactly how I felt because I think that Leonardo DiCaprio deserves a nomination for Best Actor. I think Brad Pitt deserves a nomination for yep. Best Supporting Actor in that role. I thought the movie was so good. And Tarantino had a violent scene in that movie that I won't give it away, which was right there with Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. So you're watching this movie, and it's entertaining, and it's fun, and it's unique. And then they get to a scene with violence that I'm telling you, when it comes to a flamethrower, a couple of punches, slamming a woman's face into Ooh. a wall. Yeah, I sat there and said, what in God's, what the hell is going on? And it was what Tarantino does best. Just when you're into the movie, you're comfortable into the movie. A, m- a woman gets punched it. in the oh, face. Yes. Oh. yes. It was yes. incredible to see that. That gave it that Tarantino exclamation point oh, for that me. That
1: edge where people, that politically incorrect edge that he has. Like his first eight movies had the N word every six words. And then he went to Hateful Eight, where some, a woman got punched in the face every six minutes. And then that happened again in this movie. But. He's willing to take those chances and take the heat and make a great movie. And, uh, and in music, you know, as I mentioned, not only the soundtrack with, uh, with KHJ radio throughout the entire time, also people sitting down, putting an album on and playing a deep cut from Paul Revere and the Raiders, and then worrying that. If Jim Morrison comes over, we can't have him hearing Paul Revere and the Raiders. It was su- some of the name drops and great music from Deep Purple and Simon and Garfunkel, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, little Bob Seger, Jose Feliciano, which seems to show up every once in a while in a Quentin Tarantino movie. And and there was at this one scene. I'm not going to give the scene away, but I will give the moment away because it's sentimental. Burt Reynolds was supposed to be in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, and I didn't know that. There was a very tense scene when Brad Pitt wants to go up to the house and visit his old friend who owned the ranch where all the Manson hippies were living. And remember, uh, you're watching the movie thinking, is he going to Is he gonna bite it here? What's going to go on here? This is the Manson family. Is he going to get stabbed? Is he going to get shot? He wants to go visit the old man who you're not even sure is alive while you're watching the movie. And remember, he walked into the back room and startled yeah, what startled Bruce Dern, he was supposed to be startling Burt Reynolds. That was supposed to be a surprise cameo from Burt in that movie. Incredible. Yeah, wow. and that's uh and that made me feel bad too when that old man's shoulder rolled over cuz I didn't know who it was going to be, but I did know that Bruce Dern replaced Burt Reynolds in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's how by the way how fresh this movie is. They were still making it this year. Um it, it was when when in that scene, I kind of felt bad. And I it, it, at the end of the movie, uh, let me circle back how it touched me emotionally, where, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, that fairy tale name of the movie gives you a fairy tale ending, making you wish things happened that way.
0: Well, again, spoiler alert or not, uh, Sharon Tate doesn't get murdered as she's pregnant with their child, right. which is really the most horrific crime. Connected to Hollywood and Tarantino saves yeah. her life in the movie, and life goes on once upon a time in Hollywood. So, Tom, finally, as we wrap it up, how do you rate the movie? What's your uh, what do you give it? Five, oh,
1: stars? One, to ten, one to ten, ten being best was always my scale. I give it a nine, if not a nine and a half. I got so excited talking about this, and you left someone out too, and that's Margot Robbie. A lot of people think Margot Robbie was so, you know, took the screen. Filled the screen up, and she could be up for a best supporting actress role as well. A uh, best supporting actress, uh,
0: Oscar. This was an awesome podcast.
1: They'll decide.
0: Share this podcast, man, and spread it, retweet it, put it out on social media. And thanks for joining us on the JT and Looney podcast.
1: The JT and Looney podcast is property of JT and Looney. Any re- Maybe if I shut off this fan, it won't sound like there's a fan on in the background. The JT and Looney podcast is property of JT and Looney. Any rebroadcast of the JT and Looney podcast without the express written consent of JT, Looney, and XTube is absolutely prohibited. Yeah, that's some legal shit we got to do. Get that intern in here to fetch me some coffee and massage my feet (laughs) I did like 15,000 steps yesterday hiking up an echo canyon Thank you for listening to Believe